XR stars, welcome to your monthly podcast where we dive into all things extended reality. I'm your host, futurist Amelia Coleman, and this month's topic is XR and sustainability. When this subject first came up in conversation with my guest, who I'm thrilled to have on and will introduce you to in a minute, it struck me how little we talk about sustainability in the tech industry and also how little I personally know about the topic. When researching for this episode, I was shocked by how little is actually out there on this, which of course made me wonder why. There's quite a bit of research around how virtual augmented and mixed realities are helping companies to create more sustainable business models, as well as some around the impact of using immersive content to create an urgency for the fight against climate change. The go-to argument when it comes to XR and sustainability seems to be about how VR can help reduce carbon footprints by reducing our need to fly. And I'm guilty of using this argument myself in the past. But today I would argue that it might be an outdated argument since video conferencing equally reduces those footprints. This said, the conference Educators in VR figures that by moving their annual conference into VR, they prevented more than 7.5 million kilograms of carbon dioxide from being emitted into the atmosphere. So it's cool to start to see these kind of figures starting to emerge, but would that figure be much different if it was just a video conference? In the limited research available on this subject, there was one terrific report I found on the environmental impact of the internet and internet connected devices, such as smartphones, laptops, and some brief mentions of XR headsets, which we can anticipate will play a greater role in these conversations moving forward. The report is called Internet of Waste, The Case for a Green Digital Economy, which was written by Lewis Stuppel Harris, senior researcher at Nesta for, Gen for Next Generation Internet, a flagship initiative by the European Commission that provides research and regulation recommendations around the future of the internet and IoT devices. I learned a lot from reading this report and it has definitely made me open my eyes to, to consider some things that I hadn't considered before. And since it applies to what we're talking about today, I wanted to read a couple excerpts that I found particularly interesting and relevant. I might paraphrase a bit um, at times, but I'll make sure to include a link if you wanna check out the report for yourself. As the internet grows increasingly complex and with it our demands on hardware and services, the environmental impact of this digital infrastructure threatens to spiral out of control. By 2030, the internet could contribute as much as 25% of all greenhouse gas emissions and the IOT could create unprecedented amounts of electronic waste. Each year, more than 6.8 billion kilograms of earth is removed and processed, more than the weight of the Great Pyramid of Giza, just for the smartphones used by Europeans. These mining operations are generally conducted by people in less economically developed countries, often under abysmal working conditions. Processing of raw materials is dirty work, polluting large amounts of fresh water and producing radioactive waste, 
which can leak into surrounding watercourses. The materials are then transported using fossil fuel powered vehicles to other countries, in many of which product manufacture is made cheaper by inadequate environmental protections. By the time a smartphone or laptop reaches a shop or online store, up to 95% of its lifetime greenhouse gas emissions have already been created. From the moment an unsuspecting consumer removes their new smartphone from its box and connects it to the internet, the carbon footprint of its use is inextricably intertwined with the cables, interchanges, and data centers that transmit data to and from it, or store photos, movies, emails, and device backups in the cloud. The physical infrastructures of the internet consume large amounts of energy, currently between 5 and 9% of global generation. The vast majority of this energy still comes from polluting sources such as coal and gas, which means that the internet's less tangible outputs, our data and communications, matter too. According to some estimates, a single email creates around four grams of carbon dioxide. Unaware of the impact of our actions, we send roughly 300 billion emails per day, creating 1.2 million tons of emissions every 24 hours. This pales in comparison with streaming video content, which is estimated to account for 60% of internet traffic. Europeans watch more than 1 billion hours of streaming content every day, a large portion of which is powered by fossil fuels. AI systems and neural networks require training with vast data sets to build an understanding of patterns in text or images and create useful algorithms. This training is often energy intensive with the most complex natural language processing algorithms creating as much as 300 tons of CO2 emissions to train a single AI model, the same as the entire lifespan of more than five petrol vehicles. It also creates huge quantities of data, which is often stored in carbon intensive data centers. On the other hand, reading online has a far lower CO2 impact, even taking into account the device's footprint. Video conferencing and remote access technologies enable workers to communicate and collaborate without polluting travel, and advances in virtual and augmented reality may soon create immersive remote experiences that reduce the need to travel further. Unless we drive down the internet's reliance on extractive industries drastically extend the lifespans of our connected devices and pave the way for a more circular digital economy, the internet of things will first and foremost become the internet of waste. Whew. It goes on to make recommendations, including power data centers with renewable energy by 2030, support and promote low energy design practices, research and establish guidelines on the impact of edge computing and decentralization, increase mandatory software upgrades from two years to five years, make hardware more robust, put carbon labor labeling on products, and investment in e-waste recycling infrastructure, followed by advoc advocacy to inform and incentivizing change. So I don't know about you, but I didn't know a lot of those things before. And what it doesn't get into here is XR and the future of streaming 3D content, um, of emailing 3D images, 
WebXR and the rapid obsolescence or, and lack of recycling options for things like headsets. So these are all things that I am personally interested in now, and I am going to be investigating and researching further moving forward. And if this is an area that you work in or something that your company would like to be involved in, please don't hesitate to be in touch. Now I want to zoom back out again and talk about sustainability in a greater sense of XR and how companies are using XR to help cope with the next normal. My guest is someone I've known for as long as I've been in this industry. He's someone I highly admire and respect, and I am thrilled to have here on the podcast, Mr. Jeremy Dalton. Jeremy is the head of XR at PwC Consulting and the author of the new book, Reality Check, How Immersive Technologies Can Transform Your Business. Welcome, Jeremy. Hi, everyone. <laughs> so first, um, it would be great if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and, uh, and maybe talk about what drew you to XR and what inspired you to write your book. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, thank you so much for, for having me uh, on the show, Amelia. I really appreciate it. Um, so in terms of the, the book itself and um, an introduction to what drew me to XR, um, it was, I'd say it was a few years back now. We're talking about around 2013, 2014. And I started to see what, what Oculus was doing back then. It was a startup. It wasn't the, uh, the Facebook-owned uh, uh, company that it is now, um, and I and I saw all the interesting stuff that they were doing to resurrect the the virtual reality industry. Back then, much of the talk was around consumer use cases, you know, entertainment, video gaming, all that sort of stuff. And my work at PwC was was one hundred percent business related. It was about helping businesses, and I wondered if there was a potential connection or intersection between the two. So I started pursuing that. Um, quite a bit. And I realized that there was actually a lot of potential for XR to help businesses um, in drive new revenue streams, to save costs, to become more efficient in different ways, and, and obviously more sustainable as well. And um, so I started to drive home that idea that we had something here. There was, there was validity and it was worth pursuing the, the building of a, of a dedicated XR team in PwC UK. And uh, as of and by, by September 2017, I think enough people in the firm got, uh, got fed up with me uh, constantly banging the drum on XR that they, they gave up and relented and said, all right, Jeremy, give it a go. Uh, let's see how this, this XR team thing uh, uh, goes. Thankfully, it's been, it's been very successful. I've had a lot of fun uh, to date with it. But that's a, a little summary of my, my journey and inspiration to XR. As for the book, Reality Check, as I was having conversations with clients around the possibilities of this technology, I, I came across a lot of skepticism and a lot of dismissiveness towards the technology. And it was, again, the, this misconception that, that VR and AR is purely a, a gaming thing. And that was understandable. I mean, in the, if you look at the media, you, or most of what you see is related to video gaming. It is related to entertainment. Um, so I, I took it upon myself and I thought, right, I've got to, I've got to be able to, to educate this, this audience, this business audience 
about the real power and impact that, that VR and AR can have in the business world, in their organizations across different industries. So that was, that was sort of the main chunk of thinking that inspired me to want to write a book and, and was probably uh, something at the back of my mind as I was writing it to make sure that I actually completed it. Awesome. Yeah. And I've had the privilege to read your book and I can highly recommend it. I was um, telling Jeremy before we went live that I think he does a great job at really making it accessible and understandable and um, and combining his insight with um, with the technical information. And um, and I think it's definitely applicable um, to businesses as well as people who might just have an interest in knowing more about XR. So I definitely recommend you check it out. Um, so Jeremy, this might feel like a very general question to begin with, but sustainability means something different to different people. And I just wondered what, what comes to mind for you? What do you think about when you think about XR and sustainability? So if I think about the question, is XR sustainable? I'm thinking about two things. I'm thinking about, is it sustainable from a business perspective? And is it sustainable from an environmental perspective? And those two concepts are actually becoming very closely interlinked these days. There are a lot of concerns about the environmental impact of, of, of any technology or, or any process, let's say, in the world. And, uh, and businesses are becoming more cognizant of the fact that consumers are no longer willing to accept businesses being very blasé about environmental impact. So in a way, there is a lot of pressure building on business uh, from from their uh, from their customers and their clients to become more sustainable from an environmental perspective, and if they do that, obviously that will help them become more sustainable from a business perspective. So um, I definitely see those two big areas being the, what comes to mind when we talk about sustainability. But they're they're certainly becoming more and more connected as time goes on. I love that, and I completely agree. Um, that's a great answer. Um, and, you know, with businesses at the moment, you know, having to adapt and cope to life during the pandemic, <laughs> hopefully a life post pandemic, uh, you know, are there any examples that you've run into of companies and how they're able to kind of leverage XR to create these sustainable business models that are going to see us through into the future? Yeah, absolutely. There are some really good examples out there now. And, and I know that you mentioned earlier about um, one of the big arguments of environmental sustainability of XR being, you know, no longer needing to travel. And, and maybe that's a moot point during the pandemic. I think you're right at the moment. You know, the pandemic has has grounded, you know, the majority of flights in the world. And it's not as much of a business case as it was before. But my thinking is that the pandemic is... Um, as, as, as horrendous as it is, it's got to end at some point. I do have enough confidence in, in humanity that we're eventually gonna leave this behind in, and, and see it in, in the rear mirror. And hopefully, hopefully that comes uh, sooner than later. I'm glad um, to hear that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but if we look at, uh, if, we, if we think back to that world, the world we call normality now, um, you, you can think of, you can see companies like HTC, for example, and they're, they're using XR from an environmental sustainability perspective to run their meetings so, and their conferences. So they ran their, uh, their virtual reality conference in, uh, in XR. 
And that was absolutely fantastic because that allowed so many people around the world to, to come together in an impactful way um, and, and, and witness the, uh, the onstage information and, and performance and uh, uh, all the exciting news that was going on there. And it's, HTC is one example, but I can give you firsthand knowledge as well that in PwC, we are we're running uh, virtual reality collaborations and workshops and ideation sessions with clients all over the world. And um, it's, it's happening every single week which is super, super exciting to see because a lot of people might think, okay, using XR or, or VR in particular for, for collaboration purposes is a wonderful idea and it sounds really fun, but is it sustainable, you know, from a, from a business perspective? Is it actually going to catch on? Does, is it really being used by people? And, and I can tell you firsthand that it is. And the beautiful thing about it is that it gives you that, that middle option, whereas, on one end of the line, you've got video, you've got video conferencing, and on the other end of the the, the line, you've got face-to-face uh, -face meetings. Now, the wonderful thing about face-to-face -face is it's so deeply connected; it allows us to build a rapport and build those relationships. Video conferencing, however, is far more convenient. You know, at a click of a button, you can you can have access and start uh, meeting with people. Virtual reality gives you somewhat of that connection. It's not the same. I'm not going to try and argue that it's exactly the same as the real world but it's certainly more impactful than, than being on a video conference call where you've just got a small picture of someone on a small screen in the room around you. In virtual reality, you're actually sharing the same space. You're sharing the same experience. You're having the same experience together. And that's part of building a relationship with someone, right? It's about that, that shared experience. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, virtual collaboration is just one element of how businesses are, are leveraging XR to create new sustainable business models. But there are so many other areas. There's, it's being used for sales and marketing to encourage consumers to, um, uh, to purchase products and to help them feel more confident about purchasing products by actually allowing you to try on, you know, shoes, for example. Um, in Reality Check, there, I've got a case study on a, on a Chinese uh, sneaker seller called Poison. And they're a unicorn, you know, um, uh, and uh, they have an app on the phone that allows their users to, to click a button and go from what is just a 2D listing to seeing the, the shoe that they're interested in on their feet in front of them through their mobile phone camera. And that's that's fantastic. And I'll mention only one more because there is a long list of these. But there is also another case study by a Canadian company called Promark Telecom. And many of you may not have heard of them, but there are a utilities company, but specifically, they're in the business of helping other companies to, to locate utilities that are underground and are hidden. Now, the interesting thing there is it's not only just an efficiency play here, but this actually is also a health and safety thing as well. If an engineer does not have accurate information about the pipes that are underground and the network of infrastructure that's there, they could hit a gas pipe while they're excavating and it could blow up and potentially you know, really hurt them or even, even in the worst case, kill them. So having access to this really accurate information through an augmented reality head-mounted display or even a mobile phone that allows you to point it at the, at the ground in front of you and see the underground pipes. It basically gives you X-ray vision in a way. That's absolutely amazing. And that's, that's a fantastic example, I think, of, of using XR to create sustainable uh, business models.
Absolutely. And that was one of the things I really appreciated about your book are the case studies, um, you know, that range across industries. Um, I definitely think there were a lot of really good examples that you used there. And one thing that came to mind um, while you were talking that I wanted to ask you, I'm going a bit off script now, but, um, you know, when it comes to the potential of these technologies and, um, you know, and what we can do with them and where they're going to take us in the future. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel like we haven't really reached, we haven't come close to kind of reaching the full potential that these technologies are going to offer us. Um, how do you feel about that? Um, I, I definitely think we, we, we haven't. And part of that is due to the education point, to be honest. Most people don't understand what this technology can do, what it's used for. Uh, they don't understand that it's it's a spectrum. It's not a point. Virtual reality is not something that you can define in a, in, a, in a very singular way. And neither is augmented reality. But they both are effectively spectrums of technologies themselves. Because if you ask someone or if you ask yourself, um, you know, have I tried virtual reality before, for example? If, if you say yes, that doesn't really tell the, the questioner a lot of information. Because you may have stuck a mobile phone into a, a cardboard headset, and that qualifies as you, as you having tried virtual reality, technically. Uh, equally, you may have tried a very, very high definition experience through, uh, let's say, uh, you know, the Vario XR3. Vario is a, a Finnish company that deals in, in virtual reality head-mounted displays. And uh, you've managed to use, uh, to, to import a vehicle, a 3D model of a vehicle into your real world living room or bedroom. And that's absolutely incredible cutting edge technology that they've, they've developed there, which, uh, which works really well. Uh, but you can see the difficulty there. We don't know what, what people have experienced when they say they've tried virtual reality. So I think it, this can only improve, however, as they try new things, um, as they experience the technology, as hopefully they, they read Reality Check and, and many of the other books out there on the internet, listen to your, your podcasts and your shows, Amelia, and get some real understanding on the benefits of the technology and how it can help them. So I think we, we've only grazed the surface yet. And it means, the good news is it means there's a lot of exciting things to come yet. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, and I think, I think in a way, you know, those early experiences on the VR headsets, putting people onto those roller coasters and everybody getting sick, that didn't do us any favors, you know, <laughs> because the technology's come so far now. And, you know, it's like, I remember trying to get my mom to try it again after she had had a bad experience. And then when, but when she had it with a really good kind of, um, a higher quality, she appreciated and enjoyed it, but she was really reluctant to at first. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we're still kind of having to deal with. But um, yeah, I think we, um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm a hundred, I'm a hundred percent with you. Like the, the, there is this, and I call it a myth because I mention it as a myth in, in reality check, but this idea that virtual reality makes people sick, it can make some people sick, sure, but it doesn't make everyone sick. It doesn't even make the majority of people sick. The, the problem and the problem lies with the fact that there are so many factors involved in causing nausea in people. Um, and a lot of, and some of those are not in our control and some of those are in our control. So talking about the, the roller coaster example you mentioned, that is very likely to make a lot of people, no matter how much experience they have with virtual reality, 
quite sick. And that comes down to, uh, to how you direct your experience, your software at the end of the day. How do you move the camera? Do you make people feel uh, you know, dizzy and do you throw the, the camera view around wildly and erratically? It's bound to make people sick if you do that. But there are best practices that you can follow to help minimize that. Equally, it's not even only about virtual reality, but the idea of technology, and I'm not only talking about digital technology here, causing nausea has been around for time immemorial. You can go back thousands of years to the ancient Greeks. I mean, even the word nausea comes from ancient Greek uh, and it, it relates to uh, the word nausea is, is ship um, in ancient Greek. And, and that is testament to the fact that a lot of people feel seasick when they're on ships, which is a, a form of human technology. And it's not only ships, but it's cars, it's planes, it's trains, it's uh, space shuttles. All of these man-made or human-made technologies make people feel sick. And uh, it's, it's therefore not an issue that relates specifically to virtual reality, but virtual reality has definitely gotten a bad rap for a lot, a lot and, and VR roller coasters have a lot to answer for for that. I, I know, right? Well, and that's such a good point to make too, that actually, you know, in development and production, you know, we have the power and control to make sure that audiences have a good experience and they are best practices, which I think you do a really good job of laying out. Um, and I also, you know, this kind of the debunking the myths um, and uh, the misperceptions and criticisms of XR, um, there's, there's one I want to ask you about, and I know that you talk about this a bit in your book, but how, you know, VR or XR in general is perceived as uh, being very expensive um, from a content development point of view, as well as kind of new headsets. And then there's also that thing about, you know, oh, should I buy a headset today? Because maybe a better one comes out tomorrow. And in that kind of lifespan of, of the headsets at the moment, and, um, and kind of from a sustainability point of view, you know, like what that means. Um, so wondering what your thoughts on those kind of concerns that maybe it's too expensive and that it goes rapidly, the rapid obsolescence of headsets and those kind of things. Yeah, so, so headsets being expensive simply depends on how far you want to go with them. Because like any digital or technology transformation in business, it's going to cost some money, you know, all of this stuff isn't free. Um, and so it's the reason though businesses are, I think, quite averse to, to the cost of VR technology in particular is because it's new. And going back to what we were talking about previously, the value proposition is not really yet fully understood. In other words, business leaders don't, don't truly understand the value that it can bring to their business. So there are a couple of ways of tackling that, however. Uh, and one of them is to start small. So instead of going off and, and saying, right, we're going to replace our entire training program now with a virtual reality experience, and it's, let's do the sums, it's going to cost, you know, $30 million. Uh, that's, that's not the best way of going about things. Ultimately, what you want to do is start with a small team in a single office, perhaps in one location, um, and then run a, a pilot program with them use the data that you get from that pilot program where you've introduced the technology, first of all, to learn a lot of lessons on how best to deploy it and, and get some feedback on it. And secondly, get, um, get a business case produced for, for future investments. So you can use this small investment to then convince 
business leaders with a strong case to say, look, we tried this in a, in a small part of the business and it really worked well, or you know, we only had to do X, Y, and Z and it will improve even further. And you can use that and that will give you a very strong argument to then building out a much bigger uh, proposition or deployment of the technology. As for the, the obsolescence point, um, unfortunately, and, and as frustrating as it is, it is kind of a, it's a, a, an inevitability of the way technology has progressed in society. And I don't blame this on virtual reality in particular, but you can see this in, you can see this in computers and their lifespans in businesses, you know, and how they get replaced every few years uh, in the workforce. You can see it in mobile phones as well. You can see it in screens. Um, you can see it in smart speakers. Wherever you look, there is always going to be a version two. So I think instead of trying to, to halt that, uh, that advancement, uh, the best thing to think about is, is how you can manage the end of life phase when it comes to version two of that product. You know, can you, can you upcycle it in any way? Can you, uh, can you donate it to organizations uh, that still find value in that version of the product? Can you encourage companies and lobby them not to, uh, uh, to break support for older products or to elongate the, the, the length of the support they provide for discontinued products? Uh, and it even goes down to you know, things like um, public policy on, uh, on teaching children and, and school kids about repairing and, and the right to repair. Obviously things break and in, everyone's answer is instantly to replace them. But if we have the ability and the know-how and the skill set to actually repair some of this stuff, we're likely to see greater lifespans from it as well. Yeah, exactly. And um, and I mentioned earlier about you know making a requirement that companies maybe have to offer so- software up where up updates for up to five years. And I hadn't realized that it was only two years, but that makes sense. <laughs> you know, um, I I use Macs. And, um, and I know that, you know, if I have a problem and I go to one of the quote geniuses, they're going to tell me to get a new one, you know, and cause that's their job and that's what they do. But, um, but, you know, I take it to my, my Mac man, you know, down the street and, um, and he says, this is a great computer. You just need to, you know, fix this. It's 30 quid on your way. You know, it's a completely different kind of mindset and um and a lot of people don't even know that there is that option to repair it or to get a software upgrade um you know i used to work for a creative agency and we had what we called a a headset graveyard you know which was literally just crates of these headsets that at the time we were paying you know several grand for the top of the line latest thing and then they just end up you know in a trash heap And actually not even in a trash heap because we didn't know what to do with them, you know, (laughs) Um, and there's like the special arrangements you have to do if you want to start to recycle these things. And, um, and that really jumped out at me in kind of preparing for this episode is, is, you know, we don't have a lot of um, public resources for what to do with our old electronics, you know, besides maybe, you know, bring them back to the store and sell them and this kind of thing. But they said something about old, um, cell phones or mobile phones. They on average sit in somebody's closet for three years before they get recycled. I can attest to that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But if we, you know, that to me, that almost seems like just a, um, 
a policy change, um, a, a change in information that we provide people, um, and change in incentivizing people that, you know, this could be something that, you know, is as easy as going to the co-op and, and dropping something, donating something into a place where, you know, it's going to get recycled, you know, it's going to go to somebody who needs it, who might not have access to it. Um, I think there's a lot of people would be willing to, you know, recycle these things if they if they knew how you know exactly and it, you're right it's about creating a convenient supply chain uh, with with you being the supplier in this analogy of uh, of delivering that product to uh, to to a better use right or to some use rather than no use yeah well and and um bit off the the xr subject but on the recycling topic um in my last issue of the big reveal i i featured this startup called lasso and they are making at-home recycling appliances. So this puts the power of recycling things in, you know, the, the consumer's hands. So, you know, instead of, I think they said only 50% of what we put in recycling bins um, actually gets recycled. The other 50% goes into landfills. And, um, you know, and the plastic crisis, we're kind of in with the oceans at the moment. I would love to be able to know that I can put my plastic bottle in here and then this material comes out and this, you know, I actually get paid for turning in my recycled material. I just think it's such a cool way of solving Fantastic that problem, idea. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just, I, I want one next to my, you know, washer and dryer why not i just can't believe sometimes like how long it takes to get to these places where it's like obviously we need an at-home recycling appliance you know <laughs> i know but it kind of it kind of reveals doesn't it in, in in a sad sort of way the the priority or the lack of priority that uh that this subject has taken in in society and yeah. there's simply not enough pressure right otherwise if there were we probably would have these uh these mechanisms and these machines and devices or systems uh, around us to facilitate that. Exactly. Yeah. And it kind of, um, it's a segue actually into my next question, which is, you know, when it comes to education and sustainability and climate change, you know, XR um, is very much toted as a way that we can get people to understand the urgency of these matters, uh, you know, by transporting people and, um, and making them, have experiences that they couldn't have in their physical world. Um, so, you know, I'm curious with your clientele that you deal with, is this kind of sustainability climate change issue when it comes to, you know, activating people through XR? Is this something that you're seeing people are having an interest in? And um, yeah. are there any examples that you might be able to share? So the funny thing is I have, I have a direct example I can share. Yeah. Um, for a little bit of context, um, back in 2015, and you'll know this, Amelia, the uh, United Nations um, had their Sustainable Development Goals, their, their SDGs, and they were adopted by 193 countries around the world um, as a framework for tackling um, you know, action on major social, environmental and economic issues um, facing the world. Uh, and, and what PwC did is they took these SDGs and they incorporated them into a virtual reality experience uh, using a combination of, of head-mounted display virtual reality, as well as uh, more popularly, a, um, a projection, a, a dome projection type environment. So you, you walk into this, this dome structure and using projectors, um, the, the virtual environment is, uh, is projected onto the interior of the dome around you. And you can have many people 
having that experience as a group. Um, so, so PwC created this, uh, this SDG dome experience and the aim of it was to, to educate people on the, the urgency of these, these issues that were covered by the SDGs and try and demonstrate how, um, how these technologies, how technologies like XR, as well as many others can offer solutions to these problems. But XR was a, it was a conduit, a communication conduit to try and bring those issues to life, elicit empathy, um, and get people to, uh, to take action ultimately. And uh, what we had um, at the end of it, so in the first nine months of the, the Dome experience being released, uh, it welcomed over 3,700 visitors, which was really fantastic to see. And these were you know, employees, they were students, they were business leaders, uh, politicians, policymakers. So people from all walks of life at all levels in different parts of the world and it was a great way of, of educating um, this, this large population on those environmental and sus sustainability related issues facing the world. I love that. And yeah, I often think that we don't talk enough in XR about the domes and the immersive experiences because being able to physically be in a space, you know, and, and have things life-size or even bigger than you, you know, um, can, is just, it changes the way people feel emotionally. You know, it creates that emotional reaction that you don't necessarily get reading stats on a page on a website, you know? Um, yeah. Absolutely. And so when it comes to XR and sustainability, um, from both a business model perspective, as well as an environmental perspective, what do you think that we could be doing better? Um, you know, what's your kind of advice maybe for individuals or companies or maybe even the tech industry as a whole? So I think it's very similar to the, the points that we, we touched on previously, where from a business perspective, you've you've got to look um you, you've got to do the research ultimately you know you can't expect to to jump into the development stage of of an xr experience without understanding what you can do with this technology and without designing it appropriately and i'm not even just talking about designing the software and the experience i'm talking about designing the deployments you know how are you going to actually put this into action in your or someone else's business. That's all gotta be thought of upfront. And that doesn't mean you can't work in an agile way. You absolutely can change things as you go along, but you need to have some framework to start with to know what's possible and to give you the confidence that what you're pursuing is feasible. Um, and and it's, it, it's a great kickoff point to, uh, to really start to think about um, you know, XR and what you can do with it. Um, from an environmental perspective, I think there, there needs to be uh, greater um, education around all the different options uh, available. And that's from an end user perspective. From the technology world perspective, there is a, there is a, lot, of, um, there is a lot of weight on the shoulders of technology companies to bear. And rightfully so, they need to start thinking and incorporating sustainability. And we're talking about environmental sustainability now into everything they do when they're designing the product. So this means looking at their supply chains um, and understanding how sustainable are they. Um, it me and, and this is where it gets a bit mixed, you know, between business and environmental. The supply chain that you are working with, you know, are they, are they being fair to workers? Um, what are the conditions of that supply chain? 
uh, what are the what are the payment terms and so on. Uh, in addition to where are the where are the materials coming from? Is that from a sustainable source? Uh, so you you've got to think about decomposing the product and going tracing back to its constituent source wherever that is in the world, wherever those even back to where those raw resources are mined to build the chassis of the headset, for example, and start thinking about sustainability from that perspective. And I think once that is on everyone's mind and they're going into that level of detail, they will leave, they will have left no stone unturned and there'll be hopefully nowhere in the, the creation of that product and the manufacturing of it for there to be, um, you know, some, some of the horror stories that we're, we're hearing nowadays. Exactly. Well, and I really think that, you know, technology and the technology industries, they play such a significant role in our lives these days that they, you know, we really have a responsibility to lead on this and to, to make these things transparent and to bring these things up in conversation and to write articles about it and talk about it because it can't be an afterthought. And, and in preparing for this, you know, episode today, that's really kind of what, um, what what stuck with me is how it feels like such an afterthought at the moment when you know sustainability the future climate change these are urgent things that we need to deal with and be talking about and you know the tech industry we have to play our part and um yeah so and then so kind of maybe my final question is is what role do you see xr playing in building a sustainable future so I think XR can help in, in a few ways. One of them is, is as we, we were discussing before, it's a, and, and you were saying this um, in different words, it's a very visceral, experiential technology. Um, it gets people excited, but it gets them focused. It gets them listening uh, to issues. And it helps to build empathy because they're so, they feel like they're so immersed and engrossed in the scenario. And that power can be leveraged for good to try and give them a, a sense of the, 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 the state of the world. Um, and unfortunately, the negative state of the world when it comes to the examples of a lack of sustainability. Uh, and hopefully that can help drive change and drive action with them once they take off the headset or, or leave the dome as we were talking before. So, and that's one area where XR can help, but we also mentioned using virtual reality and even augmented reality for, uh, for working together in the future previously. So this was one of the key use cases of the technology. And I think this can only grow regardless of how COVID ends up. We're, we're going to still need to work remotely in a lot of cases. You know, we can't always be together face to face. And, and, and XR has this, this ability to make us feel like we're it's really powerful that we're having the same experience and we're working impactfully together. And if you even look at the examples that are out there now, I, uh, I was speaking to a Norwegian company for Reality Check. It's a construction firm called AF Gruppen. And they actually implemented virtual reality quite seriously in their organization, where instead of doing design reviews by flying, you know, a team of 15 one hour away from, from Oslo to another, uh, another city, they are now using virtual reality to conduct those design reviews. And from a, a business sustainability perspective, that's, um, that's saving nearly $20,000 on average. And from an environmental sustainability perspective, 
it's it's saving approximately three tons of of co2 so it's wow. it's absolutely incredible you know the the um the amount of or, or, or the power of vr once you start digging into the details and building the business case there and there are loads of businesses with examples like this out there across different industries because the idea of meeting is not confined to construction it's not confined to banking uh, or oil and gas or retail or whatever it is the idea of collaboration is is a human idea and we do it all the time no matter what business or even non-business um, pursuits that we are uh, that we're pursuing so I think XR has a lot to, to play in that space I'm really excited about it Absolutely. I am too. And I can't wait. I think there's going to be so much creativity, so many new ideas, so much more activism that's going to come out of this time. You know, that always, you know, I, I believe in things being um, spherical as, yeah, I think that's it. And um, spiral, sp- spherical, like a spiral. <laughs> I've lost my uh, Circular, circular. Circular. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think so anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, kind of we, we maybe have been going through a hard time, but I think out of that is going to come a lot of innovation, um, a lot of creativity, a lot of new ideas and uh, and the collaboration when we can get back into rooms together, whether that is in virtual reality or in physical rooms together, um, you know, we're going to have this outpouring of, of new ideas and, um, and, and yeah, new ideas. So, um, so, and finally, uh, where can people buy your book? So uh, you can check it out on, on Amazon. Um, you probably want to, you probably want to add my name to it, Jeremy Dalton, if you're, if you're doing a search in the, uh, in the address bar, because reality check, um, as much as I'd like it to be, is not a very unique name for a book. <laughs> and there are many, many books called Reality Check out there. Um, but yeah, you can find it on Amazon. Um, alternatively, you should be able to find it at your local bookstore. It's, it's available all around the world now. And uh, if you want more details or links to different vendors that are selling the book, then you can check that out at realitycheckxr.com. Awesome. And if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? catch me on on LinkedIn um so my name is Jeremy Dalton and uh you can you should be able to find me on LinkedIn otherwise um there's definitely um some uh, there's an email address uh, jeremy at realitycheckxr.com uh, that you can use to email me awesome thank you so much for your time today Jeremy um and thank you so much as listeners I really appreciate it and as I mentioned earlier if this topic of XR and sustainability is one that you're working in or one um, that you would like to participate in the research of please don't hesitate to get in touch and until next month I'm your host futurist Amelia Coleman hope you have a good one and I'll see you soon bye